What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. It's a hot summer day in August 1963. A crowd of more than 200,000 people is gathered before the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. You know the story. You definitely know the speech. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. But do you know the man responsible for putting Martin Luther King Jr. behind that podium? The man who organized the March on Washington? You can see him in video footage of the historic moment. He is standing on Dr. King's right. And you can even hear him bellowing his approval when King reaches the end of his famous speech. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. The man next to Dr. King is Bayard Rustin. As we learned in episode one, Rustin first came to King's aid during the Montgomery bus boycott. The Quaker activist was King's mentor, and it was Rustin, not King, who many fellow activists looked to early on as the potential father of the civil rights movement. Bayard Rustin was a master strategist, a tireless organizer, and an outright force of nature in the civil rights movement. And more than any other person, he was responsible for injecting nonviolent protest into the black freedom struggle. So why have so many of us never heard of him? Well, Rustin was not only a black man, he was a gay man as well. And in 20th century America, those two facts would prove too difficult for even a man as talented as Rustin to fully overcome. court said when you ride in the state Jim Crow is dead you don't have to ride Jim Crow I'm Sean Braswell and this is The Thread. This season we are pulling the thread on a powerful and revolutionary idea nonviolent resistance. 
In episode one, we saw how a young Martin Luther King Jr. elevated the U.S. civil rights movement using nonviolence. In this episode, we pull back the curtain on Bayard Rustin, the man who helped King to take up the banner of nonviolence in the first place. Bayard Rustin's life teaches us that sometimes it is the people that we don't learn about in history class that make the biggest impact on our lives. If you're joining us for the first time, we encourage you to go back and listen to episode one. When united action turns the tide and black and white sit side by side, oh, someday we'll all be free. In 1956, Martin Luther King Jr., with the help of Bayard Rustin, unveiled a new weapon to combat racial injustice in the United States. For several weeks now, we, the Negro citizens of Montgomery, have been involved in a nonviolent protest against uh, the injustices which we have experienced on the buses for a number of years. Rustin discussed the effect of the Montgomery boycott in a 1979 interview. Oh, I think if there had been any violence at all, they were prepared to deal with that. What they could not deal with were, were people who were not being violent. And uh, there was a kind of moral jiu-jitsu going on, a moral wrestling. And they didn't know how to put their hands on us because it was so intensely nonviolent. This is Rustin biographer, John D'Amelio. I interviewed many of the pacifists who worked with Rustin in the 1940s and early 50s. And at some point in almost every interview I did, each one of them would say some equivalent to, we thought he would be the American Gandhi. Now think about that. Think about what that means about how powerful they perceived Rustin to be as a model of nonviolent activism. Every fiber in Rustin's being was dedicated to the principles of nonviolence. And more than any other person, he was the one responsible for launching King's famous dream. Still, Rustin makes no more than a cameo appearance in most history books about the time. This is civil rights leader Timothy Jenkins, who knew Rustin personally. No, I don't think that the, that the Bayard is historically fully appreciated for his importance. And I don't think that he was appreciated fully at it when he was alive. Rustin actually had an experience similar to Rosa Parks on a segregated bus 13 years before he joined King in Montgomery. John D'Amelio explains. He's traveling through the South and on a bus in Tennessee. He refuses to go to the back and puts himself in the front of the bus where he is sitting next to uh, white passengers in rows reserved for whites. The bus driver calls the police. Soon Rustin hears sirens. Four police officers board the bus and approach Rustin. He patiently explains to them that he has a right to sit there. He points to a young white child sitting nearby and says that if he moves to the back of the bus, he will be, quote, depriving that child of the knowledge that there is an injustice here. The officers drag Rustin from the bus. The police start beating him. Rustin doesn't defend himself. Rustin, a tall 30-year-old black man, extends his arms parallel to the ground as the officers begin to hit him with their clubs. He tells them there is no need to beat him. He is not resisting. When they take him to the police station, there is more physical assault. 
The hallway leading to the police captain's office is lined with officers on both sides. Rustin is tossed from one to another. He endures more blows. His clothes are ripped. And he doesn't resist. Rustin is then taken into the captain's office, where he calmly asks, What can I do for you? The angry captain leans in and yells at Rustin, quote, You're supposed to be scared when you come in here. But Bayard Rustin wasn't scared. At times, he was utterly fearless. Rustin's commitment to nonviolence was total and complete. It wasn't simply a political tactic that he used in a demonstration. It was the way he intended to live his life, and he expected himself to. And there are many instances in Rustin's life where, uh, confronted with beatings by police or demonstrators, he never fought back. Take this incident at a demonstration in 1951. Rustin was attacked with a stick by an angry spectator. He picked up a stick of his own. Then he handed his attacker the second stick and asked him if he wanted to use both. The disoriented man threw the two sticks down and stormed away. Rustin explained the logic of his nonviolent approach in a later interview. There are three ways to deal with injustice. One is to accept it slavishly, or one can resist it with arms, or one can use nonviolence. The man who believes in nonviolence is prepared to be harmed, to be crushed, but he will never crush others. Rustin grew up in Westchester, Pennsylvania, which was very much a Quaker town. It had been a stop on the Underground Railroad in the 19th century. His grandmother, Julia, who raised him, uh, worked in the households of Quaker families, and so Quakerism was a part of his life. Rustin was a good athlete and a lover of the arts. He would often recite classical poems aloud at school, even while at football practice. In the late 1930s, Rustin moved to New York. He attended City College and paid his bills by singing in Greenwich Village nightclubs. Then he landed his first real job. He actually starts working for an organization called the Fellowship of Reconciliation, which was um, a pacifist organization whose membership was mostly ministers committed to the philosophy and practice of nonviolence. It's not a great time to be a pacifist in the United States. The attack on Pearl Harbor comes three months later. Most Americans rallied to support the war effort. Rustin did not. I'm a Quaker, and as everyone knows, Quakers for 300 years have on conscientious grounds been against participating in war. But participation was mandatory. So when he finally received the call... Uh, to military service, Rustin had made the decision that he was not going to cooperate in any way with the military. Rustin was arrested. He waived his right to trial, pled guilty, and received a three-year sentence. He was 31 years old when he entered Ashland Prison in Kentucky. He's classified almost from the beginning as a notorious offender which means that they are watching his every move. He's also a black man in a primarily white movement going to a prison that is racially segregated. And so Rustin, ever the activist, 
is now in federal prison, but is organizing prisoners to resist segregation. Thanks to Rustin, the prison athletic program was soon integrated, and prisoners were allowed to move between the white and colored sections of the prison. But not all of the prisoners cared for Rustin's integration efforts. A number of the prisoners are white Southerners themselves, and at a certain point, one of them is enraged at the way Rustin is challenging segregation and goes after him with a stick. And there are other people around, and Rustin just puts his hands up to try to protect his face from injury, but doesn't resist in any way. When uh, fellow prisoners try to protect him, he tells them no. Rustin's attacker continued to rain violent blows on him. And again, Rustin calmly responded, You can't hurt me. The other prisoner received no punishment for the incident. Rustin was disciplined by the warden. His activism had not made him popular with prison officials. They soon learned that the formidable organizer had an Achilles heel, at least given the time in which he lived. Rustin is a gay man in an era where no one accepts being gay. And the prison officials realize that they can expose his sexuality and they bring him up on charges of sexual misconduct. Rustin's integration efforts came to a halt. They put him in solitary confinement. It's a horrendous experience for him. There are I found in the archives two mugshots of Rustin. The first one, when he arrives in prison, he looks so serene, as if you can't do anything to me. The second one is taken after he's been in isolation for several months, and the pain in his face is unmistakable. It was not the last time in Rustin's life that his sexual orientation would provoke such a response and derail his career. Bayard Rustin was released from prison in 1946, and at that time the U.S. Supreme Court handed down a decision holding that segregation in interstate transportation was unconstitutional. Here was a golden opportunity for Rustin to use nonviolence to test the enforcement of the new law. They create an organization called CORE, the Congress of Racial Equality. And so, nearly 15 years before the famous Freedom Riders hit the road during the 1960s, Rustin helped recruit a team of 14 men, divided equally by race, to ride in pairs on buses throughout the South. Other black civil rights leaders, including the NAACP, wanted no part of the plan. The future Supreme Court Justice, Thurgood Marshall, told Rustin, you are insane to try this, just dumb. Rustin knew the risks. His team endured 12 arrests and numerous threats of violence along the way. In North Carolina, Four of the riders, including Rustin, were dragged from the bus and arrested. Rustin would later serve time on a chain gang as a result. But the organized acts of non-cooperation that Rustin and his team engaged in helped lay the groundwork for future acts of nonviolent protest during the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s. The journey was an important experiment. Uh, It also, in a sense, demonstrated in 1947 that Uh, The country wasn't yet ready or prepared to build a mass movement. And so it became um, an example, a model of what you could do, even if the impact 
wasn't dramatic. By the early 1950s, Bayard Rustin was a reformer to be reckoned with, but his sexual orientation continued to be a problem in the activist community. Rustin never pretended to be a straight man, but during the mid-20th century in the United States, it was not safe to come out as a gay one. One never knows when the homosexual is about. He may appear normal, and it may be too late when you discover he is mentally ill. So keep with your group, and don't go off alone with strangers unless you have the permission of your parent or teacher. Every state in the nation criminalized homosexual behavior at the time. This is civil rights leader Timothy Jenkins again. One of the things that he felt he suffered was uh, the double burden, or as he sometimes so called it, the double cross of being black and also being gay. And he appreciated that the hostile forces uh, on the question of race were also hostile on the forces of uh, sexual orientation. And uh, he felt that he was being discriminated against on both counts. Such discrimination made it very difficult to have a social life. John D'Amelio again. Also in those years, if you're gay and the gay world is hidden and you're looking to meet other gay men, you engage in what was called at that time street cruising. And Rustin both as a gay man and as a black man, was so susceptible to the police. And a number of times in the 40s, he was arrested for street cruising, lewd conduct. Then another incident occurred that would turn Rustin's world upside down. In 1953, he's in California giving talks and meeting with Quaker and pacifist groups, and... In the middle of the night, the police in Pasadena find him in a parked car with two white men and arrest all three of them for performing lewd acts. Rustin's employers at the Fellowship of Reconciliation punished him. So Rustin is let go. This is not only a pacifist organization built on certain kinds of moral principles, but it's an organization primarily of ministers And here, a key staff person has been arrested and convicted of a morals charge. Rustin lost almost everything he had. The man who had tried so hard to cast himself as a principled activist had been branded a sex offender. He has to suddenly start strategizing how to be an activist who remains invisible to the public. It would take Rustin years to fight his way off the sidelines of the civil rights struggle. Then, in 1955 he saw an opportunity to get back in the game. That opportunity was the bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama. A young dynamic preacher named Martin Luther King started to appear on the national news. It was clear to many of those in the civil rights struggle that the boycott represented a turning point. As word of the bus boycott travels north, uh, for Rustin, this is his dream. He's been waiting half of a lifetime for something like this to happen. Instead of an action that five people engage in and get arrested and that's it, a whole community is joining together to resist racial segregation. 
Rustin and other northern pacifists were worried that the black community in Montgomery might resort to violence after King's house was bombed. Rustin decided to go to Montgomery to lend his support. This is King biographer David Garrow. Now, in 1956, uh, being an, an uncloseted homosexual, uh, especially within black America, uh, made someone uh, untouchable uh, in, in many quarters. And so, even though Bayard hastens to Montgomery uh, to advise King, others uh, in New York are, are worried whether those aspects of Bayard's history uh, might be used against him. Rustin, who recognized these concerns, kept a low profile. He did not go out after dark alone. He often consulted with King over the phone. Rustin soon found himself at the heart of one of the most significant protests in American history. Rustin sees his key work as helping to develop Dr. King as a nationally recognized leader. In the years following Montgomery, Rustin made himself indispensable to King and to the civil rights movement. Rustin remained behind the scenes, but if you look closely, you could discern his hand almost everywhere. Rustin became an advisor to King. He also introduced King to northern activists, labor leaders, and other prominent individuals who became major financial supporters of the movement. Timothy Jenkins again. I came to know Bayard Rustin as a, a voice for passive uh, resistance in a very important way. And of course, he inspired much of the leadership that led to the political revolution of the South to pursue the course of, of, of tactics as opposed to just uh, demonstrations. Rustin fought his way back from the margins to shape the principles and methods of the civil rights movement. Then came his biggest test yet. Up next, the eyes of America and the world turned to the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in the summer of 1963. The March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom is the single most significant demonstration in U.S. history, the event that launched Dr. King's famous dream. The man who organized that march was Bayard Rustin, but only after he survived the efforts of some of the most powerful men in America to bring the march to its knees. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. 
It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Because of his sexual orientation and criminal record, Bayard Rustin tried to coordinate the March on Washington under the radar. It wasn't easy. And by early August, just weeks before the march, his role became more public. And at one point even, the Washington Post, I think, actually describes him as Mr. March on Washington. And the FBI does an investigation. It gathers whatever material it can find on Rustin, including his arrest in Pasadena, on sex charges and provides that information to Strom Thurmond, who is a white segregationist senator from South Carolina. And Thurmond gets up more than once on the floor of the Senate and reads into the congressional record all of this condemning information about Rustin. The attack did not have its intended effect. Rustin's fellow civil rights leaders leapt to his defense. What's so important about 1963 in Rustin's life and the history of nonviolence is that because the march was so visible and so important, this time when Rustin is attacked for his sexuality, all of the organizational leaders come together and explicitly stand by him and defend him so that he doesn't lose his role as organizer of the March on Washington. I remember about 5.30 in the morning, I was out on the mall, and the press was surrounding me, and they were saying, Mr. Rustin, Mr. Rustin, what's happening? You said there were going to be a quarter of a million people, and there are scarcely a half dozen here. I remember taking out of my pocket a blank sheet of paper, and taking my watch out of the other pocket. I looked at my watch in the blank sheet of paper, and I said, gentlemen, everything is going according to Hoyle. <laughs> and uh, I was terrified that people weren't going to show up. But they did. It was an event like the nation had never witnessed before. The crowd, 250,000 people gathered on the mall, and they heard speeches that were inspiring, and sometimes they were rousing speeches as well. Rustin himself addressed the massive crowd. The first demand is 
that we have effective civil rights legislation, no compromise, no filibuster, and that it includes public accommodations, decent housing, integrated education, FEPC, and the right to vote. What do you say? But of course, the main event and the final speaker, thanks to Reston's own plan, was Martin Luther King. And it's just an astounding success. And of course, it gives Dr. King an even more visible platform to be a national leader. And there was not a hint of violence anywhere. Rustin himself later summarized it. Not a single person was arrested in Washington that day. Not a single person was drunk that day or picked up for drunkenness. There were no major problems of any kind. The march ended for me when we had finally made sure we had not left one piece of paper, not a cup, nothing. Bayard Rustin continued to fight for justice in the decades ahead. In the 1980s, at the end of his life, he turned his attention to gay rights. Through it all, Rustin consistently downplayed himself. Well, my role was a very simple role. It was a role of saying to Martin Luther King, I have certain skills. I have skills which are good at analyzing problems. I have skills that are good in planning and executing. I do not consider myself a leader. I consider myself a spokesman for a given point of view. Barack Obama awarded Rustin the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2013. 50 years after the historic march on Washington. The White House has announced it'll posthumously award the highest civilian honor in the United States, a Presidential Medal of Freedom, to the trailblazing civil rights activist Bayard Rustin. It was a fitting honor for a man who gave so much to the cause of freedom. Working in the background, away from the headlines, Rustin changed life for millions of people. Rustin's own outlook in life, however, were largely shaped by another man, one that he never met, but who also changed life for millions of people on the other side of the globe. During the 1920s and 30s, the world grew captivated by a small man in a loincloth taking on an empire in India. It wasn't simply that Gandhi had a personal commitment to nonviolence, but Gandhi was showing, at least from a distance, that preaching and practicing nonviolence could be a route to massive social change. Gandhi's commitment and methods were a revelation for Rustin. He began a lifelong campaign to introduce Gandhi's nonviolent tactics into the struggle for racial justice in the United States. He finally made it to India, uh, late 48, the very beginning of 49. And unfortunately, when he finally did make the trip, uh, Gandhi had already passed away. But it was a powerful trip for him. And if anything, it increased the attractiveness of nonviolence as a route to social change and political activism. Rustin traveled around India for almost two months. He returned to the United States and continued to preach Gandhian nonviolence to the black community. Rustin liked to tell audiences that fighting injustice required, quote, angelic troublemakers. 
is in our ability to make things unworkable. The only weapon we have is our bodies, and we need to tuck them in places so wheels don't turn. Eight years later, Bayard Rustin, the ultimate angelic troublemaker, put that principle into action, making sure that the wheels did not turn in Montgomery, Alabama. Together, Rustin and Martin Luther King Jr. made things unworkable for those white leaders in the South who wished to preserve a segregated society. But the true ideological father of King and Rustin's nonviolent movement was not black or even American. In the next episode, we journey to India and South Africa to explore the remarkable life of Mohandas Gandhi, the man who proved that nonviolence could achieve major political reforms and even take down an entire empire. You don't have to ride Jim Crow, no, you don't have to ride Jim Crow. On June the 3rd, the high court said, when you ride in the state, Jim Crow is dead, you don't have The Thread is produced by Libby Coleman, Robert Kulos, Sophia Perpetua, and me, Sean Braswell. Chris Hoff engineered our show. This episode features Bayard Rustin performing a song called You Don't Have to Ride Jim Crow. To learn more about The Thread, visit ozzy.com slash the thread all one word. And make sure to subscribe to The Thread on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on iHeartRadio or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out at Aussie.com or on Twitter and Facebook. If you love surprising, engaging stories from history, look no further than the flashback section of Aussie.com. That's O-Z-Y.com. Yes, someday we'll all be free. When united action turns the tide And black and white sit side by side Oh, someday we'll all be free This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You ever get that feeling like the concrete jungles closing in? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to chase your own dinner, or just breathe clean air. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there waiting, and finding your piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, price, location. They've got it all. No matter what kind of wild dream you're chasing, land.com can help you find the ground to make it a reality. So quit dreaming. Head over to land.com, find your open space, and get out there.